starting in verse 27, says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do you people say I am? They replied, Some people say that you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them many, or teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, merely human concerns. Let's pray. Lord, we're about to dive into this passage. God, you have good for us. Lord, you expect from us. And so God, even right now in this moment, would you continue to send your Holy Spirit here? Lord, we've sang, we've prayed, we've heard from your word. Now, God, as we dive in, would your spirit speak to us? And God, will we leave forever changed? You know that I don't have anything to offer these people, God. If I get up here and talk for a long time, it means nothing unless you're here. And so, God, we're inviting you in this place. We love you, we love you, we love you. It's in your holy, holy name we pray. Amen. You guys have a seat. Well, good morning to you. How is everybody? All right, good. Uh, I want to start today, uh, and I want to look at some statistics. And so here's what I want to say as a kind of precursor to this. These statistics that I'm about to read are not to scare you. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. I'm not of uh, the fear-mongering type. Like, I'm not here to try and say, this is terrible, everybody, well, like... Ah, and so, but I want to look at these because it is super interesting. I did some research uh, through a group called the Barna Group, and the Barna Group is a, a collection of people who take uh, surveys, questionnaires, and a bunch of other things and kind of compile data about the state of religion in America, predominantly Christianity. And so uh, a lot of people talk a lot about Christianity, and they say, oh, it's dying, the church is dying, everything's dying, uh, and it's scary. Well, uh, truth be told, Barna did a study, and of uh, Americans, 73% would claim themselves to be Christian, right? That's actually not too bad. Three out of four, right? If you have four people in a group, about three out of four are going to say, yep, I'm a Christian, now, on the surface, it doesn't look that bad. You got, you know, 20% say, hey, I don't have any belief whatsoever. 6% of, of Americans have uh, belief in some other uh, kind of religion. And then 1% are like, I don't know. And so uh, that's kind of how you get that. And it's an interesting statistic. So 73% doesn't sound too bad until you dive into it a little bit. And here's the interesting thing. Of those 73%, 31 point something percent are saying, hey, I have an active relationship with Jesus. They are actively participating. They attend church with some frequency. They pray. They believe in spiritual things. They think faith has a tremendous amount of power in life. And so they're saying, hey, you know what? Yes, I I think that that's good. But 41% have no affiliation. 
They don't attend church regularly. They don't really have any sort of belief system. They are what we would call cultural Christians, being my parents were Christians, their parents were Christians, everybody else's parents were Christians, and so I guess I'm a Christian. And so if you're 73%, over half don't actually have any kind of belief. This gets even a little more interesting, where they did a poll and they asked, uh, hey, how important is it for Christians to uh, kind of proselytize, to, to go out and evangelize, to talk about their faith and things like that? Uh, 54%, that's the uh, 35 and the 19, 54% strongly or somewhat disagreed that it is the responsibility of Christians to talk about their faith. That's an interesting thing for me. Jesus gives us three commands, love God, love others, and make disciples, right? Like you've got the great, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then kind of the thing that he leaves us with is he says, go therefore and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded and surely I'll be with you till the end of the age, right? You have to go, but 54% of Americans are saying, no, 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 you don't need to go. Don't talk about it. Keep it to yourself. It's your faith. It's your own personal faith. You just hold on to it. Put it in your pocket and don't do anything with it. They did a study and they asked Christians, not just Americans, but Christians, how important it was to speak about their faith. In 1993, 89% of Christians, professing Christians, so of the church-going, attending, faith-driven people, in 1993, 89% said, it is important for me to share my faith with people. They did the same study last year, and in 25 years, 25 percentage point drops. Only 64% say, no, it's important for me to own my faith and to talk about it. Now, here's what I want to do, right? Everybody's like, wow, this is a way to encourage us, you know, great. And so, uh, so here's what I want. I don't want today to be a thing where I'm like, all right, we got to get out there and evangelize and we got to, you know, blah, 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 because I mean, I think that those things are good, but I'm not asking anybody to like quit your job and go stand on a street corner with a megaphone like, repent. Repent. Like, I, I don't think we need to be that. I don't think that tomorrow when we're standing on the job site or, you know, talking with people, I don't think when we're talking about uh, March Madness basketball games, you need to be like, oh, I did see that dunk. But you know who had the greatest dunk of all time? Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Do you know him? Like, I don't, I don't think that we need to be that. But I do think it is an interesting thing of what's happened in America where the idea of Christians, the idea of professing Christians have a connotation of being hypocritical, critical, judgmental, small-minded, and bigoty. I think that that's why you have these kind of statistics where culture is saying, hey, I don't want to hear from you. Don't tell me about your faith because your faith doesn't actually look like your faith. You're saying a lot of things about love. You're saying a lot of things about what you believe about Jesus. And yet your life looks a lot differently than the things you're talking about. I think it's an interesting thing when we look and dive into it, the fall of Christianity is due mostly to the fact that Christians, professing Christians, don't look a lot like Jesus. And so I want to look at this text today, and I want to dive in and talk about uh, what Jesus would say to us. Because here's the deal. Faith is more than just knowing what you believe. It's actually living out what you believe. 
It's one thing to know these things, to know Jesus came, lived a life, and died on a cross for our sins. It's one thing to know and have belief that his death, burial, and resurrection atones for our sins. It's another thing to see that practically lived out in life on a day-to-day basis. And so faith is more than just knowing what you believe. It's actually letting that transform your life. And so Jesus is uh, with his buddies, and they're walking around Caesarea Philippi. And it says this, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say that you're one of the prophets. And so Jesus is going around, and him and the disciples are coming off of uh, this deal where they healed the blind man, and it was the one where Jesus rubs his eyes, and he's like, oh, I see trees. And then he rubs his eyes again, and he can see clearly. And so they've been doing this thing for a long time. They've been going around. Jesus has been ministering for a long time. And so in a tradition that is kind of weird, the rabbi asks the question, hey, what are people saying about me? This isn't an ego check for Jesus, right? He's not like, man, I'm feeling really discouraged. What do people say? Like, he's not trying to get some uh, encouragement from people. And like, he's not trying to know, uh, hey, okay, this is where we're at. Like, this whole thing. What he actually wants to do is get into the next question that he's going to ask here in a second. About, all right, that's what people are saying, but who do you say? And so he asks this question, and the disciples answer rightly. Hey, people think you're a prophet. Some think that you're John the Baptist who came back from the dead. Some people think you're Elijah. Like, they think you're a good teacher. They know you work miracles. Like, they think a lot of things. These are good things. And the popular opinion around Jesus is that he's a prophet, John the Baptist, Elijah, and a good guy. And here's the interesting thing about popular opinions. We don't live our faith because it's popular. We live it out because it lives in us. From the dawn of creation, from the time Christianity started, we were called to be countercultural. It's one thing to know your faith and hold it in your pocket. It's another thing to live it out. And what it is saying is in the culture all around us, especially in America, being a Christian is not a very popular thing. Am I wrong? In America, yeah, 73% identified as Christian, but overall, the overall thought about following Jesus, being a Christ follower, is those, those bigoty, small-minded hypocrites. And so the thought would be, well, I shouldn't live out my faith then because it's not popular. Well, that's actually not true. You should live out your actual faith because it's unpopular. You should live out your actual faith because the popular opinion around you is saying, hey, keep your faith to yourself. Don't press it on me. Don't do any of these things. But what Jesus would say is there is life-giving, life-changing power in the gospel. And so if you are living a faith that actually believes in who I am, if you are living a faith that actually shows people me, shows them to to me, like uh, you could not imagine the impact. You would have no idea. You want to talk about being countercultural? Man, Jesus was countercultural time and time again, right? 
He's arguing with the Pharisees. He's arguing with the teachers of the law. He's arguing with all these guys all the time. And so he's always talking about, hey, this is what popular opinion would say. Here's actually what's going on. You've heard it said, but this is what I tell you. And so time and time again, his countercultural living was at opposition to what popular demand would say. And ultimately, they killed him for it. And so we cling to that faith. We cling to that belief Not because it's popular, but because it's life-giving. When you look at yourself from where you used to be to where God has taken you now, you can see a change. Yeah, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not that girl anymore. I'm not this anymore. And I'm still not where I think I should be, but I'm not there anymore. Because the power of the gospel is for life transformation. And so in believing the power of the gospel and believing who Jesus is and what he says, what we're actually saying is, hey, this faith that I'm telling you about, I'm living it out now. And when you look at me, you can see Jesus in some way. And that's an important thing. Text continues. Oh, no, this is important. <laughs> well, Paul, the apostle, says, hey, what then shall we say? Should we uh, go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means those who have, uh, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is a thing where what we do is we, because Christianity isn't popular and because we're afraid of offending and because we don't really want to press it on anybody, we just say, well, I've got grace. Grace is good enough for me and I'm just going to keep it here and you stay over there and I don't really need to do much with it and I know that I'm going to be forgiven if I mess up and this, that, and the other, which is very, very true. But what Paul has just said is, hey, yeah, that's true. You are forgiven you are covered in grace does that mean you should continue to go on sinning this is by no means eugene peterson uh is the guy who wrote the uh, message translation of the bible and here's how he translates this so what do we do should we keep on sinning so that god can keep on forgiving i should hope not if we've left the country where sin is sovereign how can we still live in our old house there Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? And your faith is not something where you can just say, yeah, I know it and I'm keeping it here. It needs to be something that infiltrates your life and your heart. I mean, we are living proof of the power of Christ. Verse 29. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. This is an interesting section. So Jesus gets in and he says, hey, um, uh, all right, so that's what popular opinion is. Now let me ask you guys a question. The 12 of you who've been impacted, the 12 of you who know that it's not popular to believe in me, the 12 of you who have seen kind of the, like the, the dirty side of this thing, let me ask you, who do you say that I am? And Peter finally gets an answer right. You're the Messiah. Messiah is a word that means savior, or in their estimation, what their Messiah was, was a warrior king. Their idea was, hey, uh, God is going to send us a deliverer at some point. He's going to send one for the nation of Israel, and we're going to overthrow our enemies, and we're going to take back our land, and we're going to be victorious forever. It's kind of like last week where the blind guy, the first time he looks, sees trees. 
Peter's got the answer right, but his thought is, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, then guess what? We're going to overthrow Rome, we're going to cut off Caesar's head, we're going to be victorious, we're going to get our land back, Israel's going to be great again. And it's sort of short-sighted. After he says this, Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. And you're like, see, J-Mag, Jesus just told us not to. Well, uh, Jesus is actually talking to his disciples here. And because the thought is, hey, all right, if they have figured out I'm the Messiah, other people might too. And what Jesus didn't come to do was to start a rebellion. He didn't want people coming with swords and shields and spears, like ready to overthrow the government because his idea, his notion, his knowledge of what he was as the Messiah was different than what they thought. See, our faith... Maybe? No? Okay. Well, we'll just go ahead anyway. Um... Living out your belief isn't just for your satisfaction, it's for your benefit. Living out what you believe is not just for your satisfaction. Peter is extremely satisfied with this answer. Extremely satisfied in knowing that the Messiah is here because he thinks, yes, I'm Peter. I'm going to be on the front line with Jesus when we overthrow Rome. I'm going to be a legend. They're going to remember me forever. I'm going to be heralded among the generations. I'm going to be front and center when we take back our land. I'm going to be front and center when we do this thing. And so his idea was, man, I'm going to be extremely satisfied. And yet what Jesus is going to tell him here in the next verses, yeah, you'll be extremely satisfied fine if that's the case, but that's not the benefit. The benefit is so much more. Peter thought, hey, we're going to defeat Rome. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to defeat sin and death. Peter thought, hey, we're going to get our land back. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to have a kingdom that has no end. Peter is saying, we're going to be victorious and heralded and everybody's going to know the nation of Israel. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to overcome all of these things and my name, my glory, and my renown will be known forever. It's sort of short-sighted. And I feel like a lot of times we get caught up in this moment where we look at our faith and we say, what's the benefit to me? I like faith because I don't have to go to hell. I like faith because uh, I get my soul saved. I like faith because the grace covers me. I like faith because of all these things. And it points to us time and time again. And it's about what we think and we feel and we know. And yet Jesus is saying that is short-sighted. If you would just let me infiltrate and use you, if you would just let me be in you for real, you couldn't imagine the benefit. Man, do you think Peter would have stopped if he could look at the scope of everything from where they were at that moment? And if Peter could have seen churches 2,000 years later all worshiping in the same time, like we are not the only ones worshiping right now. There are churches all around the globe, all around America, all around the globe worshiping at this time too. Do you think Peter would have settled for overthrowing Rome if he could have seen the impact of what Jesus was actually going to do? By no means. And Peter would have looked at it and been like, all right, let's, your plan is better. Well, let's go with your way, Jesus. That's a better idea. Because the grace of Christ is not just for the benefit of Israel or for their satisfaction. It's for the benefit of all mankind. We are living proof of that. 
And I'm glad that Israel didn't just overthrow Rome and have that because that leaves me out in the dust because I am not an Israelite. So living out your faith isn't just for your satisfaction. It's for your benefit. Here's where the text gets a lot of fun. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And so they're talking, and the text says he began to teach them. To this point, they did not know that Jesus was going to have to die. So this is where finally that second wiping is made clean. And Jesus is saying, you have imagined the Messiah to be a warrior king. Let me tell you, I am that, but I'm not going to overthrow Rome. I'm going to overthrow so much more. And he talks about having to suffer and die. The word rebuke that Peter does, when Peter rebukes Jesus, is the same word in Greek used to talk about casting out demons. Peter takes him aside and literally starts to just yell, No! That can't be! You're going to lead us to victory. You're going to be in control of all things. We're going to be victorious. You can't die. You stop talking like that. Stop that right now. The scriptures, I've read them. I know what's going on. You stop it. And Jesus looks at the disciples and looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I've been called a lot of things in my life. I don't ever want to be called Satan by anybody. I definitely don't want to be called Satan by Jesus. And so in that moment, Jesus is saying, this is the way it has to be. You have to own your faith. It can't be popular It can't be short-sighted. It has to be selfless. If we don't live out our belief, we fail to grasp what God has for us, and we get in his way. Peter Peter tries to, to stop Jesus from this thing. Jesus says, get behind me. Man, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've walked through something uncomfortable. And when it came to believing and owning my faith and being, uh, talking about it outright and showing people what my love for Jesus was, I didn't look like it at all because I was very, very mad about what God was doing. Instead of being obedient and willing to walk through anything and knowing that Jesus was walking with me, I'm kind of the one who sits down on the ground and folds my arms and says, hmm. God, if you just do it my way, what about my will? What about what I want? That's Peter here. Jesus, that can't be. We can't do that. It's got to be something different. And here's what you can know above all else. Whether you want it or not, God's will will be done. You don't get to control that. I don't get to control that. I don't get to have a say in what will or won't happen. That is only up to the Lord Almighty. And so you can either get on board or get out of the way. I don't know what you're walking through right now. 
I don't know what's being a hindrance on your life and your heart in this moment right now where you're at right now that's saying, hey, I don't want to own my faith. I don't really want to be out with it. I mean, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe you didn't get the job. Kids for a long you didn't get hired that you wanted. Maybe you've been praying for your kids for a long time and you just want them to know and love Jesus and you don't see any fruit. Maybe you got diagnosed or you saw somebody get diagnosed with something extremely severe and you are just broken up about it. Maybe you're dealing with mental health issues of your own and you just don't understand why God won't take it away and you don't know what to do with it and you're just frustrated beyond all measure. Man, could you stop for one second and think, I don't know what's going on, but I know who's walking with me. I don't know why this is going on, but I'm going to choose to not be short-sighted and I'm going to lean in and trust who Jesus is and trust that in the end he has good for me because here's what scripture tells us. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Job, Job has everything taken away from him. His family, his livestock, his kids. I mean, any wealth he had, he's literally covered to head to toe in boils, and he's just jacked up. And his wife says to him, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, are you why are you talking foolishly should we accept good from god and not trouble romans 8 28 we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose see what ends up happening here is i can't tell you why it is you're going through what you're going through but i do know that god's plan is bigger than yours that his ways are bigger than yours that he knows things that you don't know and he's not leaving you alone he's not pointing at you and saying get over it with yourself He's literally saying, I'm going with you. And so what does living our faith out, what does living our belief out look like in this? Maybe if you didn't get the job, they chose somebody else over you. Maybe it's you stopping and saying, you know what? God, I'm going to pray for that person. And I'm going to let them know that I'm, gonna, I'm here and I'm available to help them in whatever they need. And that looks like Jesus, doesn't it? Instead of wagging your finger and being like, meh. And maybe with your kids. It's you being willing to be on your knees before him day in and day out, praying and begging that he would do something miraculously and submitting and understanding that you don't have control and as much as you love them, you could never love them as much as he does. And so I'm going to go ahead and let God take care of it and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to get out of his way and I'm going to know that his plan is perfect and I'm going to understand that even if I don't like it, that it's going to happen and he knows what I need. Your disease? Maybe this is an opportunity for you, again, to be on your knees, on your face before God, saying, God, I'm afraid. I don't know why this is happening. I don't like it. I don't want it. But you know what? I want to trust you in it. And I know that you're with me. And I'm going to be obedient, faithful. And I'm going to love people as best I can. And I'm going to point my doctors to you. And I'm going to talk about the faith that I have. And I'm going to trust that you know more than me. 
your mental health. Maybe God is saying to you, hey, get help. Go talk to somebody. Get medicine if need be. But know that I am with you and I know you feel alone. And I know that you feel just burdened. And I know that you are scared. And I know that you hate that you can't control things. But I am going with you and I'm going to walk with you. And I want you to be healed of the things that hold you down. If we start living out our faith in those ways, I think those statistics change. I think your 41% of people who go to church but aren't involved in church, I think when they start seeing people who are walking through things and trusting Jesus and still being loving, I think that that number switches. I think the definition of Christians as hypocritical, critical, judgmental, small-minded, when we start walking through things and start loving people intentionally and start looking like Jesus, I think those numbers change. I don't think you have 54% of people who don't want to hear your faith story when they're watching you walk through something and they're going, how are you right now? Like, how are you doing this? And so it's a call for us as a church to not only say what we believe, but back it up. It's a call for us to not only talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Can you put your money where your mouth is when it comes to your faith? Can you say things and then back them up by how you live? And so one thing that we are going to do here, we, are, we, are, we believe firmly in the power of prayer here. Like we pray over your prayer requests every week. We read through them. The ones that I read, I pray for after the meeting. Like I firmly believe in the power of prayer. And so one thing I think us showing and owning our faith and walking out, one thing that we can do, we're going to try this. Uh, We've made these things. They're uh, door hangers. That's a front side and a back side. They're out uh, in the courtyard on a table. This is a great way for us not only to invite people, not only to live on the Great Commission, but an opportunity for us to actually pray for people too. On the front side, it says, hey, we prayed for you. And so uh, that just literally, we're going to pray for households, even if we don't know them, hang the door hanger like on their door and pray for them. On the back side, it's got some information about our church. There's an email address on there that they can email if they have severe prayer requests and they haven't been reached out to. There's information about our service times, our location, things like that. It's the most unintrusive way that we want to be a loving community to our community. And so what our challenge is, we have a lot of these. We have them in stacks of 10. There's a rubber band around them. Man, we challenge our first service. We're going to challenge you as well to take a stack or two of those and go and put them around neighbors' houses in your neighborhood. Take 30 seconds. I mean, literally, you pray for a house. God, I don't know what's going on in this house. I don't know their names. I don't know what's happening, but I'm praying that your hand would be on them. Or maybe you do know. Hey, God, I know these people. I love these people. Lord, I'm praying for this. And you take just a few seconds to pray for these people, pray for your neighbors, and then you leave it on their door. Man, if nothing else, if not one person shows up or reaches out to us, that means we'll have prayed for 2,500 people, 2,500 households. And I believe firmly in the power of prayer because I believe that, man, I can imagine that some of these families may have never been prayed for before. We might be the first. 
But let's just imagine and dream for a second here that the Lord does a good work, does something big, and people see those and they go, you know, I'm going to check this Advent place out. Can you imagine this room? If even 10%, 10% of 2,500, if even 10% showed up, that's 250 new households here. That's a game changer. You're like, well, J-Mac, 10% is not going to show up. All right, 1%. 1% is still 2,500 or 25 households. 25 new families becoming a part of loving here, becoming, uh, love is why we're here, embracing that, and then going on and spreading that love to the world as well. If half of 1%, 0.5%, that's like 12 new households, I mean, that literally changes the size of this room. And so we're believing fully that God is going to do something. We're believing fully that the power of prayer is something that can change lives. And we're believing fully that faith is not just something that we hold here in our hands and we put it in our pocket and we pull it out when it suits us, but it's something that fills us, that embraces us, and that we are on mission of doing. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he starts to mold and shake and shift you in new ways, and then you are moved out to do things. And so my challenge to you is, man, just pick up one of those. Leave your house 10 minutes early from work. Go out, say, hey, you know what? Today I'm going to do three houses. I'm going to leave 10 minutes early, and I'm going to do three houses. Pray and stick it on the door. It's not solicitation, right? Supreme court, the Supreme court ruled it. You don't have to knock on the door. There's not that weird conversation that you have to have that nobody really wants. Like if someone knocks on your door, you're like, uh, I'm not answering it, right? I don't, the Panera guy delivered food to my house the other day and I was like, who are you? You know, like I don't, I don't mess with that. This is not us trying to have that conversation. It's us just praying and letting them know we're here. Now, would you, would you get on board with that? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to just pick up a stack of 10 and maybe you don't want to do it uh, at your neighborhood or you live in a sketchy place or whatever? Maybe you just want to leave them on cars in, in a parking lot somewhere. And maybe you just want to leave them on uh, office doors at where you work. And just let people know that you are praying with and for them. Because I firmly believe that this is a game changer for this community. This is a game changer for the kingdom. And so would you do it? And so in closing, I just want to ask a question. I want to ask a question for you, which is this. If someone were to ask you about your faith, they were to ask you about what you believed, about who you are, about all of those things, and you weren't allowed to use your voice, you weren't allowed to use words, you weren't allowed to write it down, what would your life say about what you believe? Let's pray. God, I know that was a long one. I know that was a lot. Lord, I know um, I know it's difficult. Lord, putting feet to our faith is a difficult thing. So God, would you give us the desire to see Boca changed for your glory? God, not in a way that makes Advent great, not in a way that uh, highlights who we are, but in a way that glorifies you. God, will we be a people who are 
firmly believing that prayer works. Firmly believing that you are a trustworthy God. Firmly believing that you are in control. And God, would you continue to show us who you are? How mighty, majestic, holy, and perfect. And ultimately, Lord, would you continue to remind us of how much you love us? God, continue to put the cross and the death and the burial of Jesus at, our, at the forefront of our mind. And ultimately, Lord, would you help us to celebrate the resurrection day in and day out? Because it's worth knowing, it's worth celebrating, God, and it's the greatest gift we've ever gotten. We love you. It's in your holy, holy name we pray. Amen.